saying to Nick just before we left home that I, it's the strange feeling of both being completely in awe of him and almost lost for words, and at the same time going, oh my goodness, if I start speaking, will I ever be able to stop? <laughs> and that's so him, eh? It's, he's just so uncontainable and yet he's so relatable at the same time. So tonight we're at the beginning of Ephesians 6. I'm going to read the first four verses. So this has been a bit of a different thing for me. Usually when I'm speaking, and also now the question is, what do you want to say to your people, God? But usually the way that's worked for me is, what do you want to say? I want to say this. Here's the stories. Here's the scriptures. Whereas this is starting from, what do you want to say through this scripture, Lord? Same process in terms of what he does, but it's been like an interesting little fun adventure for me doing it, what has felt quite upside down to what my natural way of relating to him is. So cool how he mixes things up so we don't get into little habits about how he might want to talk to us. And I felt like I've been a little kid with this. I'd initially just assumed that I'd probably speak from the first 10 verses just because that looked like a natural break for me. So I'd say a bit about the first four and then a bit more about the, the next six. But I was saying to Nick, there's just just got all these why questions about those first four verses, you know. Why did you say that straight after you've talked about the bride of Christ? Why did you choose parents? Why, 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 why? So I feel like I've been this little girl. Those of you who know kids know there's this phase where they, they go from learning words and learning how to ask for things to asking, why is the sky blue and why are the feet on the bottom of our bodies and <laughs> why just... All these things, it's like their perspective opens up and they just ask why. And the cool thing about him, as opposed to me at least as a parent, is he never says just because. <laughs> because he loves to reveal to us the things of his kingdom. So when the questions are wise about the matters of his kingdom, he is delighted to reveal to us. So it's been very fun. Bear with me because I feel like in some places the words might not quite do justice to what he is saying, but the Holy Spirit's your translator, so tune in to him. Don't worry so much about me. <laughs> so the first, or let's, should actually read the scripture we're going to talk about. That'd probably be a good place to start, wouldn't it? So Ephesians 6 from verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> so the first why question was, why did you say that after the stuff you've just said? So the placement, I thought, was really intriguing. So we've just had these two chapters in Ephesians 4 and 5 where he has given us these massive pictures of how he sees his church and how he sees Christ in the church relating to each other. So in Ephesians 4, he talks about the body with Christ as the head. So when we think about who Christ is, so here's one scripture on, who, on the enormousness of Christ, is in Colossians 1 from verse 15. I'll just read it, don't need to go there. Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in all things and in him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. 
and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So <laughs> he's quite enormous. <laughs> and just that mind-blowing thought that he's knitting his church together to be a body of the same stature as him. So someone that enormous isn't going to have a tiny little pathetic body, are they? That's not going to make sense. And then in Ephesians 5, as we've so beautifully heard from Chris and Paul the last couple of weeks, we have the picture of the church as the bride of Christ. And this they call the profound mystery. And that those words, profound mystery, have just been gripping me. Um, and we'll talk about that a bit more. But again, Christ in all of his enormity and the church as this distinct, not Christ, distinct, but like companion of his. We're being knitted together as his people into someone distinct from but of the same substance as, in the same way that in a natural marriage, the husband and wife remain distinct, but the oneness between them builds both into something far greater than the sum of their parts, and life, new life can come from that. Um, just really just struck me again the profoundness of this mystery over the last little while, particularly the scriptures, there's some of them earlier in Ephesians and in other books about this is a mystery for the heavenly realms before it's for the earth, and just imagining as history's played out, the heavenly realms going, wow, how can this be? How can this be your plan? So not only did you come down here to rescue them when they didn't even know they needed to be rescued, you rescued them when they couldn't rescue themselves. We wouldn't have crucified you if we knew that was your plan. <laughs> That's what it says in where does it say that? 1 Corinthians. That if they had have known what his plan is, they wouldn't have cooperated with it, obviously. <laughs> his death and resurrection was to save us. But just the sense that in this book he's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. This just wasn't about taking them out of one kingdom and into my kingdom. That was the start. The real plan is that I'm going to raise them up together to be like me. And we're going to be together forever. And you can just imagine just that even the angels must be like, but look at them, like, look at them. Like, they, they were unsalvageable, so you made them salvageable. And still look at them. <laughs> you know, they, they, look how selfish they are naturally. Look how individualistic they are naturally. And you can just see him saying, yes, it's impossible in them, but all things are possible in me. Just the absolute genius of the way that he displays his glory because it is so it's like a story with a million plot twists <laughs> that could only be him and you can just see not just the dominion of darkness but the angels going oh my goodness look look who they're becoming why are they becoming that they're becoming that because of the greatness of him because we've already seen that it's not because of their own greatness we saw where that got them so just hold that in your head, that he's just showing us these massive macro pictures before we go into this part. The other thing I wanted to reinforce before we go here is there's been this really strong thread through this series about how to approach scriptures 
that describe how we're to behave and not behave, the do's and don'ts scriptures. And this is another place where if we don't approach them as he intends, they can end up kind of being a bit of a downer, like, wow, mm, here's some more things that I can't do that I need to do. So I just want to add to that thread too before we get into it. So a bit of a recap, the amazing Sam Willis message on Ephesians 5 and the imitating versus emulating. So one of the key points there is when you see something in Christ, when you see something that the word's telling you to do, don't go off and try and manufacture the behavior. That's the emulation. Say, ah, oh, that is something that Christ needs to build in me. And as that's built in me, then the behavior starts to be demonstrated. Chris, when he talked about the bride of Christ, spoke to this point when he said, we can easily, when we're reading Ephesians 5, miss the profound mystery because we're so busy talking about what wives and husbands are meant to do and wives and husbands pointing at each other, saying, you've got to do your thing before I do my thing. (laughs) Or maybe that's just us. And also, with all of this, we can actually yoke each other. Because if we teach each other like that, then we're helping other people to miss the point. Um, Paul had this beautiful analogy last weekend about the running of a car. And I was just telling Sandra that I was trying to describe to Nick this kind of concept. But my words... You know, when you can see something in the spirit, but your words are actually not saying the thing you can see. And so Nick's like, "Mm, you know what you're saying, but that's... mm." And then we were listening to Paul's message, and Nick was like, that's that thing you were trying to say, and I'm like, yes, it is. So cool how the Spirit weaves things together. So um, Paul's analogy was strangely from the days of manual cars with clutches, (laughs) I'll use the automatic version, where he said, if the engine in the car is running and it's been operating according to design, so foot's on the accelerator, then the movement of the car will just happen. You don't need to then turn the wheels around. That's an outcome of the car operating according to design. So for me, the way the Lord has taught me this in terms of how to approach scriptures that are that could be do's or wants, do's and wants, do's and don'ts, scriptures that go to behaviour, is to say, read them. They are my description of what maturity looks like. They're my description of what alignment looks like. So what that does is it says, when I read something that says, don't gossip, when I read something that says, be hospitable to each other without complaining, I don't go, oh, here's another thing that I'm not doing that I should be doing. I go, wow, that's who I'm meant to be. You need to help me be that. That's, I can't be that. It pushes me towards him rather than away from him. And it inspires me rather than deflating me. It's like the difference between... You read these scriptures, and if you're reading them as things that he's telling you to do, things you need to emulate, you start to back out of the Holy of Holies, right? Because you're like, okay, I'll be back once I've sorted that out. (laughs) When... (laughs) When... He, when you read them this other way, it's like, this is why I need to stay boldly before the throne of grace, because that's where my help comes from. So thank you, Jesus. Honestly, that is the position that Jesus won for us, is that we could be changed, because we could stay in the place where our help comes from. So listen, I'm not saying 
when you read a scripture like do not gossip, that it's okay to just carry on and think, oh, well, one day God will sort that out. Because <laughs> that's a fairly passive approach to the Lord. But what I am saying is that if that's all you try and do, you won't be changed and eventually something will happen where there's pressure and that behaviour will reassert itself because the root system that it's coming from will still be there. So I just just sense that he can't emphasise enough this point about how we're to approach these scriptures. Right, so now back to the scripture we're talking about today. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what is honour? So honour, by a dictionary definition, is to hold in high esteem, to fix a value on something, with the implication being that the value is is of great price. So who is it who defines the true value of all things? Christ, yeah. And what does he value highly? His people, yeah. And the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. So honour is to see people the way that God sees people, highly valued. I'm going to give you some examples a bit later, but what I want you to hold for now is that it is a, it's an active position. It's not a passive neutral position towards others it's forward leaning into others okay so let's have a look at the design in the scripture and then we'll look at some other pieces around honoring what's he saying and just in plain reading what's he saying children honor your father and your mother So value them as the parents that he gave you. We know that he saw us before the foundations of time. We know that he knew who our parents were. So honouring our parents at a minimum, I will say, because I know that all of us didn't have awesome parents probably by by ratios of the number of people we've got in the room, but at a minimum honouring our parents is saying you are the parents who God gave me and I can value you for that. Again, it's a forward-leaning position. It's not the same as not holding anything against them. That's, it's almost like if unforgiveness takes you underground, honour takes you above ground in the way you're seeing people. Fathers. Fathers, interesting. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't make it hard for your kids to honour you. God sees your main responsibility is to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. Okay, so that's design. We all know that for most, well, no parents are perfect, so nobody had this outworked in their own lives perfectly, and we know that some people had it outworked pretty shockingly. But that doesn't take away from the fact that that's God's design, and it doesn't take away from the fact that God honours us when we honour his design. So what does that transaction look like? 
value your parents, recognise the function they have in your life, and in that you'll be able to receive instruction in the Lord so that you can grow. Connection, honour, growth. (laughs) So, we're going to come back to that bit, but are our parents the only people that the Bible tells us to honour? Nope. So 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honour the king. There's this, this is one of my other um, why Christian-y things I've had this week. Have you noticed the pattern where right through this book, he says, so he says, submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. All of you walk in love. It's the same here. Children, submit to your parents. No, no, that was what we just did. Um, honour your mother and father. Honour all men. So what that tells you is that he's trying to use particular relationships to demonstrate a particular thing, but the thing applies much more broadly than the narrow. Okay? <laughs> so in the broad, honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. So honour, fixing a value on something, seeing that thing with the value God sees it on. So here's my attempt, but we can talk about this a bit more with the questions. Parents, as I've said, valuing God's design, that he chose them as your parents. If nothing else, that is something to honour, because that is something that God chose for us. My experience, which I'll talk about a bit later, is you'll find as he teaches you this posture, you'll find that there's quite a bit more that you can value them for, but we will, that's for between you and God. It will be different depending on who your parents are and what he's saying to you. Each other. So two things here, beginning of Ephesians 5, we are each dearly loved children. So we are honouring that God doesn't just see me as a dearly loved child, he sees each of you that way too. If you don't know that you're a dearly loved child that might be one reason you struggle to honour others because you feel that there's some insecurity and that there's a loss for you in honouring someone else the other thing that is the Lord's design is that he has distributed elements of himself gifts, whatever you call them throughout the body And we are to honour that also. We're to value that the Lord has given gifts to each of us. And then, so this scripture says, honour all people, or honour all men. So what is there to honour about those who don't know the Lord? So they are made in the image of God. God sent a son for all of them, and his will is that none would perish. So there is an an eight value that God sees in every person and honouring is approaching them with that value in mind. So I think a key point to understand here, given all of that, all of those things that I said to you about how God sees people come from his word. There might be more. But when we are seeing people like that, when we're honouring them and seeing them with the value God sees them, we're actually honouring God and his design. Look above. Makes it easier too when you're finding it hard to go actually, 
I can't see it yet, but I know that this is my brother and sister and you love them as dearly as you love me. So again, got me back to this question of, you've just given us this massive picture of who we're to become. And so I know this isn't then some sort of mundane, right, back to basics, be nice to your parents. <laughs> There's a lot more to this than that. Why did you choose to say this next? And a couple of things. So parents are the one relationship we all have. We might not all have kids. We might not all have wives and husbands. We might not all have jobs. We were all born to a mother and a father. We might not even know them. They might not even be alive. But we do all have parents. So that said to me, there's something we all need to learn here because that's why he's placed the emphasis on this relationship. Also means we can't get out of it. <laughs> By saying I'm not this or that. Other side of that transaction that we talked about, the, the transaction he's talking about here is the transaction of the parent raising the child up in the Lord. Growth, maturity. So given that he's just talked to us, about how, who we are to be raised up into and how profound and enormous and unspeakable that is, could it be that he's saying that if we want to receive that growth, we need to be able to honour? Yes, yeah. Honour is linked to being able to receive what he has for us. Why? This is my next why question. <laughs> why? Christ builds the church... We don't build each other, but Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 tell us that he has distributed gifts through the church. We each have a particular function. The functions are all for the building up of the body. So if we can't see that, if we can't approach each other as both another beloved child and one which the Lord has graced for certain what we will call functions, then how are we going to be built? There'll be a measure of growth. But if you read those scriptures, it's pretty clear that the growth process isn't a, a me and the Holy Spirit. So Christ doesn't build the church by just transactions between me and the Holy Spirit. He's still building when he's working through us, still him. So a reminder again, this isn't to yoke you, to say now I have to go, here's another thing that I need to do. It's to say, Lord, this is who I'm meant to be. Like your mature church is a church that honours all. Teach me if I need to be taught. How do I know? I know because he's been teaching me this for years and he's actually giving me what you might call a tune-up, a deepening to this lesson at the moment and I'll talk about that a bit later. But I want to show you first in scripture how honouring and receiving from the Lord are linked. So let's go to Mark 6. So this is... 
So just before, Jesus is about to go home to his hometown. And just before this, he's done all these amazing things. So he's, this is where he's freed the man who was demon-possessed for years, sent the demons into the pigs. He's healed the woman with the issue of bleeding, and he's raised the little girl from the dead. If you, Worth reading that chapter, because what you'll see is that in each of those stories, the recipient has somehow acknowledged who he was and somehow reached out to him. So then he goes home, and so when, we, when it says Jesus went out from there, it's from that encounter, and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his brothers and sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except he laid his hands on a few sick and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. So what's happening here is interesting. Particularly you can... It says that the people were, the words, they were astonished. So they were like, wow, what is this? But then quickly they looked to his earthly identity. Now this is after his baptism. So the father has publicly said, this is my son. So it's not that that hasn't been unveiled yet. But these people who knew him were like, no, he's, he's Mary's son. And so they were offended. They kind of almost feels like they were like, wow, uh, can't be. He's Mary's son. And then Jesus says, a prophet is without honour only in his hometown. Is that how it goes? Except, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and among his own relatives. So this is that place of saying, you don't recognise who I am. You don't know who my, what my true identity is. And then what flows from that in the story is that he can't really operate in his true identity because of the dishonour. It is interesting that, you know, he laid a few hands on a few sick people and they were healed. We're usually like, awesome, that's amazing. But in his grid, there was a lot more that he had in his heart or the Father had in his heart, you sense. So, if that's true of Christ in the flesh, pretty sure it will be true of Christ's kingdom and the Christ in us, that if we're not prepared to acknowledge the Christ in each other, then it's going to be not possible for us to receive the Christ in each other. So I'm going to try and describe some of this to you in my life. Listen for the heart, not the behaviour, because these behaviours can come out of a heart of dishonour. So listen for what the Lord's been doing in my heart. So interesting that he started in my life with my parents, my natural parents. And I was trying to remember how he started, but I think a more mature Christian just said to me when I was talking about my parents one day, "Your parent, God chose your parents for you. 
they are to be honoured. So there was actually a physical, somebody taught me, and I went through this process of going, yes, that's true. And the beautiful thing about it is that it started with, I had great parents. I wasn't a person who had a really shocking past. But there was a lot I didn't see about the value of my parents. And as I went through this process of starting with the, these are the parents God gave me. He's, look at where I am and the fact that he saved me. He, he loves me. He chose these parents for me. He started to show me stuff that I just hadn't seen or valued like the fact that I have had prayer over my life every single day of my life. Amazing. Amazing. What a gift in my mum. My dad worked really hard and jobs he didn't enjoy so that us girls could have opportunities that he never did. That's pretty selfless. So rather than here's all the, all the lack, it's like, look, actually... They loved me, and they did what they could for me. Totally, totally different orientation. Can you see how it's different from, it's not just meh, I'm, I hold nothing against them. It's God sees more than that. He will see a lot more than this, I'm sure, but it's a process. Nick. So... You know, God puts different people together on purpose. And one thing about me is that I'm quite open, I'm quite curious, that's cool, but sometimes it can lead to me kind of going down rabbit holes, you might say. Nick is much sharper at more quickly going, actually, that's a degree off, and one degree off can take you quite a long way off quite quickly. And the journey here has been, again, from... I would say my initial position was underground. So I would share something and I would feel like Nick was being really negative and critical. And so I wouldn't want that. So I if, yeah, wouldn't want that. Next stage was for the Lord to show me that that was actually him. <laughs> and so to be able to see that as him. So if I was saying da-da-da-da-da and he was saying, are you sure about that? I could actually hear the question and go, actually, maybe God is saying something. So that's kind of what I'd call the zero position. Honour is, so with something like this, there's been a few things where I'm like, hey, I'm thinking I can say this from that scripture. What do you reckon? Is that pushing it too far? And he will say, or he did say, no, actually, because these other things suggest that that is true, even if that's not the exact thing that scripture's saying. So can you see that that's a posture of going towards to receive? I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. And, I mean, that's, this is our closest relationship. So it's going to look different, but can you hear the posture? Cool. The tune-up he's giving me is around, and again, for Paul's analogy, so the car's the engine's running, being operated in line with design, car's moving, but when you get to a certain speed, it starts shuddering. <laughs> and that's all right. I don't need to get out of the car and sort that out because actually the designer can come and go, actually, have you noticed that you find it easier to honour some people than others? Have you noticed that the people that you see the most you're a bit familiar with. And so you're a bit like, yeah, 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 that, yeah, 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 yeah. 
So you're in probably neutral rather than actually know. If, even if I can't exactly see anything else, beloved child, gifts distributed, I need to lean forward. So, just to reinforce that, it's not just about leadership gifts or people who speak from the front. So we have spent quite a lot of time here unpacking the fivefold. That is because it is an important part of how God builds its church, his church, and it's not well understood. So it helps to be able to honour and receive from something if you understand it. Okay, so absolutely honouring the fivefold gifts without a doubt. But it's not just about that. Gifts distributed throughout, all dearly loved children. So start, whoever it is, start from the, you're my brother and sister, Christ loves you as much as he loved me. And from there, more will emerge. I'm not saying we need to go and get labels for everybody's gifts or find out. In fact, I'm saying we don't. We shouldn't. (laughs) I'm saying approach everybody in the knowledge that they are dearly loved and that Christ will have distributed a grace to them for the benefit of the body. Don't... Wait for the perfect to be perfect, person for to be perfect. Don't expect them to be or pretend they are, because that's not what it's about. It's about we're all growing and being on a journey. So if if I was going to wait for Nick to be able to perfectly bring a challenge to me, then that's not that's going to impact on my receiving because he's growing as well. And it's also not about me every time Nick says something going, oh well, he's got really good discernment, so he's right. It's not that. It's a much more gritty relational thing than that. But it's about the the posture of the heart. So, okay, here's my last why question, and then we can have a chat. So why? Why did you... Why is receiving from each other so important? Why did you design the body this way so that it couldn't be all of us individually transacting with the Holy Spirit? And then we'd all be built, and then we'd be in eternity, and that would be cool. Well... Think about who he is. He's the God of one. Three distinct people in complete unity. So do you think what he's planning in eternity, and the bride of the body pictures give you the answer, no, is three of them separate us's. Is that going to work with somebody whose nature is oneness? No. So he's set this up so that we need each other, so that the only way we can be built into this maturity that he's looking for is by learning to be one. And that's what he prayed. Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. He's a genius. (laughs) But actually more than a genius, of course his design is consistent with his character. So he wouldn't, he just wouldn't. Why would a God of one design a system where we could grow up in a fragmented way. He wouldn't. I think that's all all I really need to say. Here, again, don't 
if you feel like there's a, the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, the response isn't, I need to go and learn about honour. The response is, teach me, Lord. Allow it to convict you, and then let him teach you, because he's your teacher. Thanks, team.